look, it's your responsibility to have energy. It's nobody else's. You shouldn't go to other people, not to your partner, not to your kids, not to your company or not to your employees and say, look guys, I'm worked out. Because it is in the end of the day, unfortunately, your responsibility to take care of this. And if you can't work 100%, how should be the people around you work 100%? And why should you expect something from them you not yourself uh, uh, um, can fulfill? Hey folks, Garrett here. In this episode of the Most Awesome Founder Podcast, we introduce Valerie Burris Boonstrom, PhD in computer science, mother of three, co-founder of Mrs. Sporty Fitness Clubs, founder CEO of Pixform and Sports, and now founder CEO of interactive fitness mirror company, Vaha. We're discussing Valerie's founder journey, her passion for the fitness industry, the analogs between athletics and entrepreneurship, and one of my favorite topics, flow. Valerie is an incredibly successful and driven founder who undoubtedly has that Midas touch. Her passion for entrepreneurship, technology, health, and wellness are absolutely infectious. And her ability to switch between technology, business, fitness, family, makes her one of those rare founders that seem to be able to do absolutely everything at once. Hope you enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by WHU, the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu today. Coming to you from WHU, on the banks of the Rhine River, in beautiful Fallendar, Germany, this is the best and most awesome founder podcast. A show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today. Valerie Burris Bunstrom. Thank you so much for joining our podcast. Um, as you know, we've been looking forward to having this conversation for a while. Um, you, we, you and I have a lot of very similar interests. So uh, welcome. Looking forward to our conversation. <laughs> I'm really happy to do so now. Wonderful. Um, so I like to start all of our episodes with a little bit of storytelling. And um, knowing a little bit about you, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing that story. So maybe if we could kick things off, you could start by kind of telling us where you come from and a little bit of, about your entrepreneurial journey to where you got to today. Yeah, basically my journey started a little bit um, with my mother um, telling me that I'm not supposed to study sports, even though I was really uh, fascinated um, to spend my life with sports. But she was telling me, no, you won't make ever any money with sports, so better study something uh, good. So I went on and studied computer science, which was actually an amazing ch um, chance for me, uh, learning how my brain works <laughs> and what I cannot get out. And then I got to know my ex-husband, who had the idea to found Mrs. Sporty, which obviously was a great idea in terms of doing something with sports, but at that moment, I didn't believe that the world needed some more fitness clubs. Um, anyhow, the first time I was standing in these kind of like small clubs where you see women around 50 years happily working out together and more focusing on moving together and um, really doing um, 
sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's the era of Zoom. We're, exactly we're used home, to it. <laughs> in, at home. Um, yeah, really moving together and having fun together in the community. I was sold on the idea. And that's what I did 17 years as first COO and then CEO. And um, most motivating has been to see the journey of all these women in Mrs. 40. But we also understood very soon in 2011 that the needs of women in our fitness clubs become different the more, um, let's say, the knowledge of health and fitness grows within that target group. And I realized that the woman 10 years, let's say, before um, was different than the needs of women today. So um, today we have really like highly educated women. Um, and um, that trend was already visible in 2011. And I believed we need to develop a new kind of, let's say, training um, possibility. And that was actually Pixformance. So we created a personal digital trainer because I knew that when we're offering functional training to our women, we can train um, athletes, um, but we can also train beginners or people who have um, health problems. So functional training um, to offer that, I think it's an amazing idea to really train everyone on their level and also progress them. And then on the other hand, we know that functional training needs a lot of assistance to do it right and to also get progression. And that's why we said, let's use technology to support um, that growth. And um, that's how Pixformance started. This company is already also 10 years old now. And um, we understood then also in the later part that Business Body is unique because we're really caring about the quality and the assistance of our customers, but that not goes for the whole fitness industry. <laughs> so, we understood then we really need to go into the medical area and use that well-developed technology to, um, to grow. And um, after focusing for a long time on in the medical um, area and also seeing um, Pixformance develop in, into the market leader, we um, then I missed, um, after I left Mrs. Sporty in 2017, this direct contact uh, with our customers. And um, that was basically mainly the reason why I was then very open um, when a, a um, friend of mine pitched me the idea, hey, why don't you do Pixformance for end consumers? <laughs> why don't you bring Pixformance home to us? I was very open for that idea. Um, and that's um, um, why and how I got to found uh, Vaha in 2019, in June. And um, that's what I have been focusing on the last one and a half years now. Cool. Uh, well, it's an interesting journey to me because you, you know, you're obviously into sport, but then you have this background. I believe you have a doctorate in computer science, right? Yeah. And then you went to a very analog a very analog business model, which was building fitness studios. And it took many, many years for you to get back into technology again. Was that, uh, was that accidental or was, did you have this desire to go back into tech after, after so much time building Mrs. Sporty or was it just a serendipity that led you there? Yeah, I mean, most of the things are very simple things in life, right? So I always knew I really wanted to have a big family and I always wanted to have five kids. I have three now, <laughs> uh, which is good, <laughs> almost there. And I, I dreamt about 
really combining some intellectual work where you can get challenged because I'm all about the flow, yeah, um, where you get challenged and you can really move things, but you still can combine it with family. And that's what I, why I dreamed of a career at university and wanted to become a professor. And that's when, why I started my PhD at that time. But then the, I also had that feeling in university work that you don't, exactly I get that feedback from people that you change their life and um, when I'm um, when I got into I mean accidentally dragged into that business where you're standing on the street and um, convincing people to, to do sports and change their life I understood how much power that has because we could see if people followed our advice they actually changed their lives and I feel that um, I, I, I was so fascinated and, um, by, by the chance to really having an impact that it took me, I mean, for at least a while in my career, it dragged me away from my original um, passion um, to do this intellectual work and, and work with technology. But um, in the end, and that's, I think, most stories probably, um, if you have two passions in, inside your heart, um, I mean, let's say, hopefully, at some point, you can combine it. And, and that's where I'm feeling I'm now. I can combine my passion with, I mean, doing having impact and seeing members really changing the lives. And that's the most beautiful thing for me to read that in the community we're having. Um, but on the other hand, work on that real tech challenges <laughs> and standing in front of these big um, problems and you don't know how to solve them, but eventually you find the solution for it. Uh, amazing, amazing. I, I'm interested in something that you said earlier that I want to come back to, which is when you started studying computer science, you were really interested in in the mind. And then, of course, you just brought up my favorite topic of flow. Um, you know, I, I work with a lot of software engineers that have their own kind of hacks and ways of getting into deep focus, deep moments of immersive work and deep concentration. And as an athlete myself, that's where I've usually found my found my flow. Um, do you see a lot of analogs as someone that lives in both worlds that, you know, can be dealing with deep technical challenges and also in the, the sport and fitness community? Are there things you've learned from those experiences that cross over? Yeah, I think that's super fascinating topic, as you know. Um, and um, I, what I found most fascinating about it, that um, you are very early on in your life and i found that with sports because i played field hockey and when you're in this team and you're winning and you're losing and you're fighting and you are in this situation of complete as you say immersiveness <laughs> then you understand that you are part of something big but then you can't uh, describe it that well and you have that um, experience but you don't realize it and especially in my youth, I didn't realize what was happening with me. And then I was, let's say, quite empty for a while because, I mean, being in school and really not doing things you really like, um, you feel like, okay, we have to do it, but it's you really have to motivate yourself and it's hard work. And then suddenly, when I got into my studies and um, studying computer science and getting into that software development world, I found for the first time the same feeling and the same experience again. 
And um, I still didn't recognize that, that this was a special state. You can actually try to achieve, and this is not something which is just a gift of the moment, but it's actually a state you can achieve. But then when I saw all my members or all the members getting into that state um, in our clubs and during their workout experience, for the first moment I got into the thinking, hey, there is something special about that state. Um, it's about happiness, happiness, it's about satisfaction, it's about achieving goals. Um, it's all a lot about taking energy um, from it, so energy source. Then I started to um, think that must be something special. Other people must have thought about it. And then I actually started to look for research and I found it. Um, and um, I, it's, it's interesting that you not naturally immediately, I would say, detect it um, if you haven't heard of the concept. And I think that's why it's great that's, that people like you exist <laughs> and hopefully me who are trying to actually um, get that word of mouth out and say, hey, this is something, if we're seeking for it, we can probably achieve it. Right, right. Right. You know, you, you touched on a couple interesting points around this topic of flow. Um, that is something, obviously, that's so central to my life, but I haven't talked about on this podcast before. But um, I want to geek out anyway, so I'm doing it anyways. Um, yeah. so, so there are um, there are kind of two types of flow we can look at. One is the very individualistic, individual flow that, you know, I would get kayaking on a river or you might get getting deep into code. And then there's the more collective team flow that you might find on the field hockey pitch when you are able to predict what people are doing before they do it and see things unfold before they happen. And that's a piece that I'm really interested in. You know, my research is on flow-based entrepreneurship. And that happens, how do we deal with it at an individual level? And how do we deal with it at a team level? Obviously, this is central to your life. You did name your company Vaha, so um, which I believe is Punjabi for flow. Is that right? Yeah. So it's obviously central to your life. Do you find ways that you incorporate flow, not just in your individual life, Life, but in amongst your team and amongst your organization as well? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we, I called the company uh, Flow, and, and that was not a, a marketing trick, uh, but it's more for me the wish to put that as a vision out for all of us. So obviously, I want to uh, spread um, that message amongst my team and um, also amongst the members and customers we're having and telling them, look, there are three fundamental things you need to uh, ensure that they are there, which is actually goal setting, which is instant feedback, and which is meeting the right challenge. And if these three things come together um, for us in, uh, in, in, in the teamwork, but also for our members in their workout, um, and in their community, then they, I mean, the likelihood that they experience flow is definitely higher. Um, so that's the, the base thinking about it. But on the other hand, what I, what I really want to, um, let's say, accomplish with that is not only, okay, you should get in flow, because why? Um, I really want to say all the things we're doing daily, actually working together, um, pursuing our vision, like me as an entrepreneur, or for our members pursuing their vision to, to feel good, to um, fit in their clothes, to um, do a handstand finally. <laughs> All these things, um, they are actually 
um, we can, we're actually able to um, achieve them happily. It's, it's, it shouldn't be a fight. It shouldn't be like a must. And we shouldn't push ourselves to it, but actually they should drag us. So um, I was in, a little bit inspired because someone approached me once and said, look, I'm, I don't understand that you can always be so happy and that you're always motivated to work and that you're always working that much. And I'm like, it's not work for me. And that's such a, that's such a simple um, expression. And many people have said, but the question is, why is it not work for me? And for me, it's no work because <laughs> this is my opportunity to be in flow. <laughs> and I'm obviously addicted to that flow moment. So yeah, the work the team um, and, and sports and um, I mean, these activities are my moments of flow. Right. Well, I mean, you touched on so many, so many areas there. You know, one of them is is motivation, right? You know, there's this old adage that if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life, right? But you have to, you have to have this intrinsic motivation, right? If you're not absolutely, uh, I think Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, the founder of Flow, said um, that you have to be doing something that you would be doing regardless of recognition or or pay, anyway. So it. It, it's something I talk a lot about with founders, which is um, what entrepreneurs call founder market fit. You know, are you building a business? Are you building a venture that you are made to do? Are you solving a problem that you feel? Um, do you, I guess it, from the sounds of it, it sounds like you really picked, whether on purpose or by accident, you picked businesses that were rooted in your passion in the first place. Do you find that because you're doing fitness stuff, it's it's driving that if you were doing some other type of technology company, do you think you would have that same intrinsic motivation is the driver health and fitness or is the driver entrepreneurship and technology? <laughs> oh, this is really a difficult question because, um, flow is for me as well, a little bit, the thinking that you can actually find flow in everything. So, let's say I, in that fitness and tech business, I, I also, because maybe sometimes it is hard and there is a lot of problems around motivation because a lot of members might not feel motivated. Um, and maybe then it's especially important to think about when is it fun <laughs> and when is it flow and when not. So I would say that maybe even, I mean, coding and technology, which could also sound very dry, or fitness, which could be very, sound like, oh, you really have to motivate yourself very hard and it's really hard job. Um, that may, I mean, that they are maybe even opposites to thinking that I'm all about flow and that's why I choose these um, areas. So um, I, I actually can't tell you, I can't give you a straight answer to this because I can't rewrite my own history, but, what my driver was not um, in the end of the day to say I'm in tech or I'm in fitness or um, this is, it's, I mean, this is my, my thing. It was more like I found in these um, industries or in these areas, I found something which always uh, made me interested. Um, I always wanted to learn. I always wanted to find out. And in that finding out uh, search, I um, I found flow, <laughs> and that then I felt like wow, this is exactly um, what drives me. And it was even I, I think even it's more uh, a solution to a problem. I think flow is the solution to 
no motivation. It is the um, solution to maybe dryness, <laughs> or it is still a solution to pushing yourself to your limits, uh, which all, I mean, which sports is all about. So I, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, Fair enough. Well, I want to, I'm going to pry a little bit more on that topic and I'm going to talk about one of the critical triggers of flow that you mentioned earlier. And I might need to preface it for the audience, but it's the challenge skill balance, right? So if you imagine, uh, you know this already, but if you imagine an X and a Y axis and the challenge being on the Y axis and the skill being on the X axis, flow happens somewhere in the middle. If you have too much challenge, and not enough skill, you get anxiety. If you have too much skill and not enough challenge, you get boredom. So thinking about it in athletic pursuits, you know, you can tone down the challenge relatively easily. You can say, okay, I'm gonna turn down the, the knob on this, I'm gonna slow things down, I'm gonna lift a lighter weight, What I'm gonna do it a shorter period of time. It, it's, it's flexible to adapt the experience to your skill set. However, as an entrepreneur, you don't always have that luxury, you know, especially as you're creating new things, you're facing challenges that people have never seen before. How do you find that spot for yourself where you can really get into flow in those environments that the challenge might be far surpassing your skill level? I love that question <laughs> um, because it is something I thought a lot about. And a lot of my C-levels and teams I've worked with always ask me the question. And I don't know if I found it by accident or just by doing it a thousand times, but um, there is a simple answer to this, for me at least. Um, and I just want to show that in an example. We do have um, a head of performance and he asked me like, Valerie, how, I mean, you set the goal to, to sell 10 times more than what we're selling today. And that's what we need to achieve. How should I do this? I mean, this is crazy, 10 times, right? So this feels like a, an impossible challenge and you haven't done it before and the product's new and how should we do this? And um, then I said to him, look, trust in the process. And what I mean with that is that actually every challenge, how big it appears or whatever you think you wanna achieve, you can always break it down in many small little steps. So it's, it's, it's never that big thing um, if, you manage to, um, if, if you manage to detach yourself from that goal and just thinking like, okay, what could be the next small steps we could go? And if we do everything right, how would that look like? So I'm always trying to break it down into small steps and then telling them, look, don't think about the big goal. <laughs> think about the process and do the process like, 100%, maybe hopefully 300% right. And I promise you, you will get there. So, and I do think that's something I learned from computer science. <laughs> when you're trying to solve a problem, there are always like two, three ways you can, how you can um, approach that challenge. And most of the time in computer science, you even do three ways at the same time. You're building these trees and you're just working yourself from one tree point to the next tree point and you're always seeing ahead on that next step and then eventually when you're going three paths and work all these little tree um, angles then there's a big tree coming and there's the solution by all of them and um, that's 
that's amazing because people always came back to me and said, Valerie, I can't believe it. We're half a year later. We are a year later. We managed, even though it seemed to be impossible. And that's by just trusting the process. Right, right. That's, uh, it, it's pretty incredible to when you can pass this kind of experience on to people. You know, I, I've been spending a lot of time with entrepreneurs um, trying to kind of train them a little bit. And oftentimes when you provide the concept, they can they can break it apart. Entrepreneurs by nature, I think, are at least perceive themselves as optimal performers. They're always looking for ways to streamline their experience. In a, in a larger organization, as you grow, in my experience at least, it gets a little bit harder to, to manage and lead that. Um, do you actually put some conscious effort into bringing this kind of flow-based culture into your organization? Is it a topic that you educate your employees on? Is it literally part of your, your corporate experience? Yeah, that's also very interesting because I'm not such a big believer in these, let's say, how I call it, broadband messaging. <laughs> um, so I would say if I'm standing in front of all my employees and say, hey, guys, you need to um, experience flow now and it works like this and that, it's very hard for them to really understand what I'm even talking about. As much as I feel I had a hard time to detect it by, I mean, on myself when I even when I experienced it. So I learned it over many, many years. So the strongest experience, or let's say the strongest way I feel I can give that message on is um, working with people closely and make and showing them um, that we can go that path together. So I'm often, let's say, picking people who I feel, okay, they have the, the ability to learn, they want to learn, but they're kind of like frustrated maybe by the big goals they have. And if I feel actually there's the ability and here we are also again um, on the flow concept i don't think if someone doesn't have the ability to go very far you shouldn't even try it because that person will end up in this over challenged anxiety uh, part <laughs> so you need to see who is able to do what but if i feel there is the ability to kind of like push the boundaries now i'm trying to take them by the hand and saying look i'm going to show you now that we can um, yeah, break the barriers which you have in your hand and we can be so much better. And my experience is if I have that once with a person, it's kind of like never go back experience. So they will pass that on to their people they're working with and they keep that experience so deep in their heart. I mean, that I'm even getting Christmas cards from people I've been working 10 years ago <laughs> and who are still telling me about that this was an amazing experience. Um, so I feel you probably have to bring people to the point where they felt it um, to have a real impact. Um, yeah, I'm trying. I mean, still, I'm talking about it, of course. I mean, I wouldn't say like Kavala is called flow and we're not talking about it. Yeah. Um, but in the end of the day, I know the big impact it only has when I can give people the experience and sh show them, look, here you experienced flow, here you pushed the barriers. That's how you did it by trusting the process. And now you run by yourself. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Awesome. Um, I was thinking about one of, you know, one of the other critical mechanisms of flow is deep concentration, right? Having that getting into that state where you can be focused and uh, eliminate distractions around you. 
you know, in my experience, you put me in the middle of a whitewater rapid on a river and I'm there, you know, the, the environment is conducive to it. The risk is conducive to it. But as a founder and, you know, not just someone working for a company, but someone leading a company where you wear so many different hats in a day, you may jump from product to HR, to finance, to marketing, to problem solving, to putting out fires. Add on top of that, that you're a human being, you're a mother with three children, you're running multiple companies. How do you find those deep, immersive, concentrated moments? Are you able to just block out distractions with your mind, or do you have to create a special space for yourself to, to really be productive? Yeah, I would say it's both. It's a combination, because when you're talking about it, I, I realize, you know, I was the goalkeeper in, in my hockey team, <laughs> which says a lot, and um, the, our team coach always said that I had that ability to kind of just shut off and just focus um, on when the ball was coming. And I was so focused on just doing my job back there in the goal um, and didn't get distracted. So I think you probably have to have a little bit of a tendency into that, um, I would say. Um, but on the other hand, I actually I had eight years of coaching, professional coaching on my side. And um, I really want to point that out because I feel that so many people think that they are, should do it by themselves and everything um, should be just perfect coming out of themselves. And I absolutely don't believe that. If you want to be a top athlete, you have a team of coaches around you. So I feel as an as a entrepreneur, you need to find your coach team too. And I invested actually money and time into finding great coaches and used them. And I was not let's say, arrogant um, to, to say, look, I have no clue, I should, I, sh I should fix this. And I asked basically for help and not feeling stupid to be, to, to, to sound stupid or to actually acknowledge that you have no clue about it. So I did that. And by that, I actually got that big message. I will never forget that from my coach. And she said, look, it's your responsibility to have energy. It's nobody else's. You shouldn't go to other people, not to your partner, not to your kids, not to your company or not to your employees and say, look guys, I'm worked out. Because it is in the end of the day, unfortunately your responsibility to take care of this. And if you can't work 100%, how should be the people around you work 100%? And why should you expect something from them you not yourself uh, uh, um, can fulfill? And actually, that was for me a big turning point to make sure it's my responsibility to, um, to manage my energy. And I think one of, I would say, the best moment I felt, now I'm good at it, <laughs> was in March this year, uh, last year, when the I was sitting there, the kids were um, at home, um, homeschooling. I was sitting there, we just launched um, Vaha um, um, and uh, we're starting selling. Um, our CMO um, unfortunately quit because she was pregnant. So I was sitting there and thinking like, okay, I have to do my CMO job. I just launching um, the product of my newest company. I have three kids at home who need homeschooling. I still want to do sports and go to my horses and, and go out in the nature. How should I do this? <laughs> it's like impossible. And I really spent time and thinking like, you really need to think about 
that this situation actually never comes back again or how do you handle the situation and i can't go now to my shareholders and say hey you gave me a lot of millions but i can't execute on it because i'm sitting here because of covid and my kids are at home so i, I try to actively think what are the solutions trust in the process and um, that was the the moment where i decided okay i will go here to the iceland and um, move the whole family and um, um, try to spend the summer here see um, how the whole situation will evolve. And then luckily in uh, autumn, we decided to bring the kids to school here in Iceland, which made it possible that in the last three months uh, where everybody else was sitting at home and I feel really sorry about everybody because I know how hard it is. Um, but I was super, I felt super lucky that I took that decision to be able to work now and having the kids at school. And that's very simple example, but it allows me now to go riding every day for one or half hours, to have my time out, them do not feel sorry or have any problems to feeling how they develop, they go to school to do my job. And um, it's it's not that it's just lucky, I would say, but it's actually long-term preparation to, to feel these things coming and to prepare for them. And also by that, protect yourself by taking responsibility for myself. Um, so it's a very simple example, but I think it's very important for all entrepreneurs to think, how do I structure my private life? How do I structure my private time? Um, how much private time do I have? It has a huge impact on, on the whole businesses. Amen. Um, and it's something that so many founders um, struggle with. You know, I, I did as well. At one point in one of my ventures, you know, I gained 20 kilos and lived out of a suitcase and was stressed out all the time. And that's actually what got me so interested in this topic of, of optimal performance, because um, if you are not in control and you don't have a sense of autonomy, which again triggers a flow, if you don't have those feelings, it's very easy for that imbalance to get bigger and bigger and bigger, which leads me to my next question where I can dig a little bit deeper into the to a day in the life of Valerie, which is, you know, we all have you, you, you mentioned bringing the energy that you're responsible for bringing the energy and we all need to either tap into our reserves or, of energy or create them on a daily basis. So many of us have different tips and tools and tricks that we use in our lives to kind of replenish and refill our stores of energy. As a, a incredibly busy person, can you share some of the things that you do to kind of prime the pump for, for peak performance each day? Do you have habits or tricks that um, you use? Yeah, I mean, I feel habit formation is a really important thing to get structured because I would say most entrepreneurs or many are control freaks. I mean, trying to be on top of everything and getting a good feel of where the business is. And the question is, how is that possible? Um, I wouldn't say that my habits are good for everyone, but I mean, maybe they are an inspiration. Like, for example, most of the week I'm not answering emails. Um, and I do read them and I pick some out which are important, but let's say 99% um, stays in my inbox and I will only work on emails really starting on Thursday, Friday, and then over the weekend. And why do I do that? It's mainly because um, I feel in the week I have my head full of, let's say, things like priorities, which are setting per week, 
which I really want to get done. So I want to get into action. I don't want to feel like I have to work things off. Um, so this is really important to giving me the space of four days a week, let's say until Thursday, where I really feel I want to these three things to happen this week. And I want at the end of the week to feel I was really productive this week because I got this done and moved this forward. So I'm setting myself goals um, for each week, working on them till Thursday. And then from Thursday till Sunday, I'm working off my emails. And this email thing is also something where I do not when I'm not answering only an email, but I'm thinking about what does that mean? What does that say about the person that she or he answered and wrote me the email like that? Sometimes there are documents attached. I really want to have a free hat to read them. I don't want to be in my day to day business and then read it quickly through so that I'd have it done. And then I miss a lot of things which could have had big impact. So I'm trying to sort the task, different types of tasks and into different time buckets so that my hat can be, be prepared for that special activity. Or for example, my OMA meetings are always in the morning. I'm from eight to four o'clock. And I'm totally, I mean, in half an hour things, I have all the meetings. And then I'm in this moment of coaching, of thinking with the people and being with my team. Um, but in between that, I could never read the document and make some smart comments or think strategy because then I'm in an action mode. So I'm sorting my week into different chunks of type of uh, work. That's one big, let's say, learning I had and I'm, I'm super strict about it. <laughs> so people sometimes ping me on things like seven times and I'm okay with that. I don't feel bad with it, but there's also many people um, who getting an answer in a minute or in a second because I know this drives the business right now. This is really important for us. Um, and they learn it. So they learn that's actually priority gain for me. It's not uh, this person is more important than not. It's actually based on priority of the company. Um, and then, of course, privately, I'm having I'm also structuring my week into time slots, like every morning I'm having breakfast with the kids um, then I'm they're going to school and then have the time for my meetings. Um, and before that, I'm always standing up like five or six. I do have two hours where I'm by myself. <laughs> and it's really funny because these two hours, I mean, mainly I'm doing, of course, yoga or sports, not right now with COVID, but um, a lot of yoga uh, right now. And I'm using this time purely to think. It's really weird. It's, it's really nonsense time. I'm sometimes drinking coffee. I'm reading some news. I'm... Sometimes when I have important emails, I'm pushing them in that time to have under the week thinking time, but I'm using these two hours for me. This is like everybody's sleeping and I have two hours for myself. So this is, this is really important. And then in most of the afternoons, if I don't have prolonged meetings or calls or emergency things popped up, and I'm trying to spend time just with the kids to have the feeling, okay, I'm with them, I'm knowing what they're doing, I'm driving them to tennis, looking at writing, or I don't know, cooking food for friends, um, so that I'm really trying to get um, um, a feel of where they are. And um, yeah, and then in the evenings, most of the time, in, I mean, I have one hour, one and a half, I'm going very early to bed. <laughs> it's most of the time also still some emails, something which was important to, to look at. Um, but let's say I'm not, I'm really then picking what is important. I'm not taking, um, I'm, I'm not working off emails. Gotcha. Wow. I mean, I, one, I love 
all all those approaches i practice almost all of them the best that i can um but you are i i can't see how you lack energy valerie the it's incredible how much you get done which leads me to one other question i want to ask you which i think is so important um um, there's a, a number of authors have written about this, a number of researchers. They call it the growth equation, which is strain plus recovery equals growth. I hear you doing your work for four days a week and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, focusing on emails and family and all these other things. And your schedule is so disciplined and structured. Where do you find time to rest and recover? Do you actually schedule that in as well? Um, because it sounds like you use every minute, waking minute of every day. Yeah, that's very important and as well, because um, I think you also have to be honest to yourself what you can and what you can't do. And I talked about that also with my coach. And I was like, for example, I hate holidays because you are preparing one week before, then you're trying to switch off one week and then you come back and you have hell, right? So it was like, why should I go even on holidays? Because before and after I get so much stress on top of it that this week in between where I'm switching off completely, it, it doesn't really help me. And I don't feel then, I mean, even if I feel recovered, then this is done by the week after. So I got this very good comment um, and I, she said, why don't you do like weekends vacation where you're really going more regularly, but then a little bit less time. And I was feeling like, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> it's a good thinking concept. And I worked on this for many years. And then I felt also weekends are for me tough. Um, and I need to find another solution. And it's it's very funny because I um, I mean, many people know uh, I'm passionate at uh, rider, <laughs> horseback riding. And I do have um, um, three horses here. And I feel that's actually it, it it's an obligation because I have to go there. And that's really good because if I don't go there, I have a problem, a social problem with my horses. And that forces me to go there. And when I'm there, I'm not most of, the, I mean, mainly like 99%, I'm not taking any calls. I don't have anyone around me. It's really just, let's say, time by myself. And this is for me like mini vacations every second day or every third day. Um, where I get two, three hours out um, and I'm really feeling re recharged. And it's very funny because I've even um, had days when I'm ill a little bit, where you feel already you're on that uh, edge of maybe doing a little bit too much. And then you think, okay, you, when it's bad weather, it's really cold and you still go out there to the bloody horses. It's maybe really making you ill, but I always felt I was better afterwards. <laughs> I could sleep better. I felt better. I was more healthy. Um, so this is, for example, one um, way for me to really recharge. Um, so I'm trying to do these mini, mini vacations always in between where I'm taking more time. And I even have scheduled it in my schedule to take time off, to take time for myself and regain energy. Right, right. I, I love that you use the horses as an approach because it's, I mean, obviously it's something you're passionate about, but it's also that amazing cascade of neurochemicals that happens, right? The the dopamine from riding the horse, the oxytocin from the emotional bond, which is actually a great primer for flow. It is the same kind of cascade of chemicals that will get you there as well. That's amazing. Yeah, it's cool that you know that because not so many people know it. And um, I think it's really important 
that um, you understand also kind of like what many vacations bring you in that state. And it's really funny. I mean, if I going into the stable and I hear my horse kind of like already saying hello to me, it's kind of like this woo fun, you know, you're happy. Um, and everybody, I think, should find their sources of energy. But this is a big one for me is I could I mean, I'm not the type of person who can say, look, I just sleep two, three hours longer and relax by that. So um, I think you have to be honest to yourself. What is relaxing? What is giving you um, energy? And, and, and then pursue that. Um, it doesn't make sense to force yourself to, to rest in, 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 in a certain form you can't do or which is not giving you anything. Yeah. Hallelujah. We all have to find, we're all individuals. We have to find what works for us for sure. Um, I know we're a bit pressed on time. I want to ask you a couple quick rapid fire questions to wrap things up. Uh, maybe the first one may not be totally rapid fire, but I love asking people this. You have now been an entrepreneur for almost two decades, um, multiple different companies. Um, what, what have you learned over this experience that you wish you had known when you were just getting started? Yeah, um, it, it, it's uh, right now always the same answer, I think, to let go. Um, I'm, as an entrepreneur or someone who fights for goals, you're so into, I want to make that happen. And you also know that you can make impossible things happen if you're just disciplined and hard fighting enough. But there's a limit to hard fighting and being disciplined. So I'm right now so much more careful. What do I fight about? And where's the right time to let go? Um, so I would say have done in, I mean, especially in, 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 in my Mrs. Forty journey, I have not, I have waited too long to let things go and that can be dangerous. So I would advise people to think early about what do I let go and what not. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. Real quick. Um, I love seeing what people read. It's like an insight into their minds. Do you have a book you're reading or something that you could potentially recommend? Yeah, to be honest, I'm not like, um, I mean, there's so many um, entrepreneurs who are like reading all the time. Um, it, I do that for some uh, periods, but then I'm letting go uh, again. Right now, I'm actually, of course, reading a book about flow. It's called The Art of Learning. I don't know if you know it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and um, yeah, for me, it's funny. I have some topics I'm currently interested in, and I'm reading a lot about it. Then I let go sometimes from the topic and read nothing. And then there comes the next thing. I'm super into it. And then I read a lot about that again. <laughs> awesome. Last question. When you are, when you're doing yoga, you're working out, you've got those AirPods in, what's on your playlist? Oh, I'm really bad with music. So I'm pushing um, our yoga teachers and our instructors to really do the playlist and do good playlist because I'm so stupid with music. I can always say, this is not what I like, or this is not energizing me, but I have no clue, honestly. I mean, I'm kind of this stupid person. I, I could say the only music I can probably remember is Michael Jackson or something, right? <laughs> so um, I, I don't know, music is something, even though I'm playing, um, playing piano myself, the only music I can really just name is I'm sometimes uh, listening to some classical piano music like Jeruma or Ein Audi or something for relaxation, but I'm not a music person. <laughs> well, the best flow you get from music is when you're playing it yourself. At least that's exactly. what I found as well. 
Valerie Burris Brunstrom, uh, I could have this conversation for hours. There's so many things I'd love to talk about. Maybe we'll have to do it again, but it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, sharing your, your founder journey and discussing one of my favorite topics with me. Yeah, huge pleasure for me too. Thank you so much and best of luck on the journey ahead. Thank you. Well, folks, that was Valerie Burris Bernstrom, founder of Mrs. Sporty, Pixformance Sports, and Baja. Stay tuned for our next episode, which goes live every other Wednesday. Until then, be sure to check out our website at mostawesomepodcast.com, follow our channel on YouTube, and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast streaming service. Bis nächstes Mal.